זהו. היי צ'ילי, נייס לסיום, היי. היי ירון, ירון גיסי, היי ירון גיסי. Uh, Can you ask him to introduce himself? It will be easier with all this. A curious entrepreneur. Ooh, I cannot say that. A curious entrepreneur. entrepreneur. And Iran is involved in many uh, innovative pro, uh, projects, which we are going to talk about one of them today. But Iran, just tell Give us, us a, 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 a list. Like, a list. Brief, yeah. brief history of myself. Uh, for over uh, 22 years, uh, coming back to Israel after 10 years in New York. Oh. Uh, before New York, I was a fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force. Mm. And uh, instead of pursuing a career in that field, I decided to go and study art in New York. And uh, mostly the entire 90s, uh, beginning of 1990, I moved to New York. I studied at the School of Visual Arts. Oh, yes. I established my own studio with a partner in New York, and then I... taught in at the School of Visual Arts until we left back to Israel. My first son was born in New York and then I promised my wife that the rest of them would be born in Israel. So we moved to Israel at the end of the 90s and I started getting involved in the digital scene, which uh, very surprisingly started here in uh, there in New York where you are. Uh, Important. the very early days of the internet and and we were very early to start and kickstart this thing and coming back to Israel I joined a venture capital firm in Israel and after a year looking at lots and lots of Israeli entrepreneurs and deciding whether we should invest in them or not I decided that I want to move to the other side of the table and become an entrepreneur myself I don't want to look at other people create I want to create myself and Uh, for many years, I worked with several... Let's dive in, Yaron. Let's dive exactly. into what you no, did. No, because yeah. there is a lot, including something I didn't know that I can ask you, but let's dive in. Okay, I let's think... dive in. It's, it started about eight years ago when one of the projects uh, that I was working on, I was approached by the uh, health minister in Israel, and he heard we had some uh, projects in Latin America, projects for agriculture and, uh, and such things, and said, listen, In Israel, we are um, legalizing medical cannabis, but I don't want them to grow cannabis in Israel. I want them to grow everything in Latin America and I want to import everything to Israel. I don't want it to leak outside to there. I just want it for medicinal use. Uh, there was nothing I could say about medical cannabis back then. I knew nothing. I, you know, I could take a hit here and there, but I, I never knew, understood that it was part of a medical medicinal scene. But I became curious. And uh, after about a year and a half or two years of research, I decided to invest in the scientific part of medical cannabis. And since then, I've been very active in a company called Sade Biotech. And we have been developing a uh, software platform that personalized, personalizes the, um, the treatment of medical cannabis based on the profile of the patient. So this is the end of the story. Let's go back and roll back to the beginning. And I'll start with a very, very interesting story. All of the facts of this story are historical facts uh, uh, carved in stone. I added a little spice to it. So to make it a little bit more interesting. 
So it's 1930 and there's two guys meeting at a place uh, outside in the outskirts of a dark area of Washington, DC. Both of them are um, about 50 or 60 years old. The only common thing that you think guys had in, com uh, in common was that they wore a Stanton, a fancy Stanton hat and a mustache. One of them was very tall and uh, you know, chunky and the other one was uh, fat and small, but they met in this place which didn't uh, held a, a sign of the bar. And they were sitting inside, and obviously it was the prohibition era back then. And the bartender pulled something below the bar and served those two gentlemen. And the tall guy leans towards this small guy and tells him one word, one name that changed the course of history. And what he told to the small guy is a name of a guy called Anslinger. Harry Anslinger. These two guys were working as lobbyists in the Congress, one of them for the tobacco company and the distilleries to, to become distilleries, they were mostly uh, farmers. And the other guy was working for DuPont and other chemistry companies. And they saw a big competition coming up from cannabis, both on the alcohol side and both on the hemp side, uh, creating uh, materials for the industry. And the name of the guy that they uh, mentioned, Anslinger, was actually the, uh, uh, he was a, um, not a very important figure in the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Federal Bureau of Narcotics was part of the uh, Department of Treasury, surprisingly. And uh, Roosevelt nominated this guy, who is not a very important guy, to be the head of the Federal Bureau because he was very, very aggressive on his thought of fighting narcotics. And back then it was still prohibition. Uh, so it was a lot of alcohol and a lot of drugs, but he marked uh, uh, in a statement he made in 1930, he said, probably most dangerous thing for white people or white women is marijuana or cannabis. And he wrote that. We actually see you can track it back. And, and the, the, the problem with that is that basically it uh, makes white female fall for black and Hispanic people. Oh. So this guy was a real racist <laughs> fall because of when they smoke weed, this is what happens. And this guy became the uh, head of Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930. And he was in service until 1962, until wow. uh, Kennedy kicked him out. And basically this guy puts cannabis, put marijuana under the same level of danger as heroin. And, and two things happened since then. One, uh, alcohol became legal. So everybody was after alcohol and cannabis became illegal even though throughout history, cannabis was used in many, many difficult, uh, different uh, medicinal practices, including Queen Victoria, including many doctors in many different cultures prescribed cannabis. Oh, Queen Elizabeth. I don't think Queen Elizabeth was on, on cannabis, but Queen Victoria was, and her doctor was attesting to that. 
Uh, and suddenly in the 1930s, everything stopped. This was also a very, very uh, special era, era because um, clinical studies become, started to shape up. How do you make clinical studies? How do you research them? Double blind placebo studies, how do you make them? All that started at that time, but cannabis was out. No research was allowed, and it was basically a very dangerous drug. Well, take so, us now, Yaron, take us, I push it forward a little bit. How sure. do you build a profile of a person? Okay, so- It's nice to tell you that the cannabis that he's talking about is accommodating. I mean, it's the, it, no, you, it, 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 it's for different people, different- That's whatever. why I'm- Exactly, exactly. Okay, I'll take it forward very quickly. Just a short explanation on the scientific side of cannabis. Yeah. In, 19, in the 1960s, there was this Israeli professor from the Hebrew University called Meshulam, Raphael Meshulam, and he started to research cannabis, the plant. Uh, and he found something very interesting. He found that there are two, um, two compounds that, that are uh, available in the human brain that are affecting hormones in the body. And these two compounds uh, are basically targeting receptors in the body. And those receptors, when they uh, are using this compound, are sort of doing a reset. You know, I'm not scientific way, but what are you doing? If you have a problem in your liver, uh, the body senses that, it sends that uh, compound, and it has does a reset to that uh, organ. And you have a lot of these two compounds. One of them is what's called anandamide, uh, it's a, a, a it's a citric um, uh, oxygen, and and uh, one of them was called anandamide, and the other one was called 2AG. And what they do is basically reset in all those uh, uh, different receptors in the body. Funny enough, what uh, Meshulam found is that the cannabis plant have very very similar compounds inside. It's called cannabinoids. So you can basically replace what the body creates naturally in the brain to something that is in a plant. Also, this compounds created in the body are highly available when you're young until the age of 20, 25. And as you grow older, they simply vanish. There's no more of them. So mm -hmm. cannabis can replace them. And those uh, um, cannabinoids available in a cannabis plant can replace those compounds created in the body to target those receptors. There are two kinds of receptors, one in the brain and one throughout the body. The one in the body is more toward, uh, working towards, uh, um, I would say, inflammations and pain in the body. And the one in the brain is what we call the psychoactive uh, uh, part of cannabis, it's called THC. But what he also found is that you cannot separate them as single molecules. They always have to work together with all the compounds in the plant. Okay, when you have, a, and it's called the entourage effect, the entourage effect makes sure that if all the compounds in the plant are working together, it activates the receptors in your body. Because people tried to synthesize THC and they had horrible results and synthesize CBD, which is another compound and had horrible results. Um, so 
to cut a story short, it's a plant. It's very difficult to make a scientific research and a clinical study out of it because there are so many components. It's not one single molecule that you can um, identify and work on. And it, the variations are so large that you don't know what you can prescribe to a specific person. And this is the big puzzlement for the clinical community, doctors, and whoever is in, uh, involved in research. Because if it's so many compounds, how can you match them? Yeah. And on the other hand, what we know today is that every person have their own profile, their own DNA, their whole you know, style of life. Everything has an effect of how you absorb any kind of medicine. So what we decided to do in our platform is use big data algorithms. And what we do is we profile on one hand, the patients. We basically get all the data, on them, not only the medical record, have they been smoking before and how is their sleep? And do they have any psychiatric uh, uh, indications? Uh, What's their life habits? You know, all the DNA, their their genetic mapping, everything else goes into profiling the patient. On the other hand, what we're doing is we're profiling the plants. We're taking the plants, and we found sort of a, a, a way not to uh, analyze all 600 uh, different compounds in the plant, but we reduce the list and we map most of them, so we get very pretty accurate, and then just we what we call uh, real world evidence scientific scientific evidence is we match we see what happens and in israel it's very very easy because there are quite a few of patients there are about 120,000 patients today in israel everybody's been prescribed with cannabis all of those patients and we can see what they had what is their profile and what is the result once we have that, we put that into the algorithm and we can predict for the next patient what will be the best treatment for, for that specific patient. So basically what you describe is that um, in, uh, when patients go to the doctor, they don't get a personalized uh, treatment from that point of view. They just get a dose to use whether it's helpful or not, nobody can dig in and nobody. know what's going so on. So the doctors listen to you? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing is the doctors are frustrated because they don't have any clinical evidence because no clinical studies have been made, almost none. Uh, so they have nothing to rely on. They know that it's a big variable for, for the plant and it's a big variable for the people. And they're making a lot of mistakes on prescribing this or that. Uh, and what we can we can take the uh, we can make it clearer for the doctors what they can prescribe. We help we recommend to them. We can tell them eighty percent of the per people use of this profile when they have an indication of Crohn's disease uh, and they're sixty years old use this and it was effective. And then we can match it and we can sort of recommend to the doctor what is this prescription. It's not only the type, because of cannabis is a plant and uh, today what is happening all over the world in, in the US and in Israel and other doctors are prescribing cannabis because the demand is coming from the bottom. Everybody wants to be prescribed. Yeah, but do they, do they use the, the, the pure plant or they play around with it? Pure plant. Pure, pure, pure plant, plant. So they make, yeah. 
So what I see, you know, I used to never mind. Uh, this little, you know, are all natural, all natural, right? It's all natural, yeah. It's all natural. It's natural. But what happens is that because the the system was very conservative, and then it becomes big and big money involved. Hospitals have doctors who recommend them which one to use and how, but it's all very generalized. So um, basically you get lost in the whole machinery. And now what they do is basically couture the combination between your profile and the plants, and they give you a specific special personalized uh, way. Yeah, so you, you can have a plant, this is basically the THC, whatever, and another one, which is CBD, it's no, what we do, what usually people do, and what the growers are doing is they, it's called whole plant extract. It's one single plant that has X percent of THC, X percent of CBD, CBD, CBG, CBN. There's a lot of cannabinoids and a lot of terpenes. The terpenes are the the other uh, uh, compounds that we can smell. They're highly effective in activating the cannabinoids in the body. So this combination of the specific plant makes it very, very helpful for a specific indication on a specific. How do you extract this? How do you take the planet, plant and you just extract, let's say- extract, the You make oil out of it. Oil, okay. The two ways to consume cannabis, two major ways, there are a lot of ways, but two major ways to do it. One of them, which is a very quick to get it into the bloodstream is through smoking. So you take the flowering of the plant, which contains most of those compounds, None of them are in the leaves. Everything is in the flowers. Uh, and you roll it up in a joint and you smoke it. And it goes through the lungs and goes into your bloodstream. And in about 10 to 15 seconds later, up to a minute, it goes into the bloodstream. You can feel it. You can sense it when you have high THC. When you have low THC, you might not sense it, but it has the same similar effect, therapeutic effect. Uh, another way of consuming, which is another common way, is oil tinctures. So... The way to consume oil, most people don't know how to consume oil. You should not put it in a spoon and swallow it because when it goes through the liver, it breaks down and becomes something totally different. It might have effect, but it's different. The right way to consume tinctures is to spread it inside under your tongue and between your teeth and your cheeks uh, and the gums because there are uh, those parts of the mouth are absorbents and they they can absorb the, the compounds into the bloodstream fairly quickly. So if you spread it there with your finger, uh, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes until it gets effect, but the effect lasts, lasts much longer. Plus many doctors, especially the doctors that we work with, the, our partners, don't like to prescribe something to smoke because you put smoke on your lungs. So it's better to use the oil. But many people still smoke and have a, a very, very strong effect. So tell me um, something that how, uh, you know, I, I'm a good listener because uh, I'm afraid of it. I uh, go with the notion or the feeling that we take Woodstock and I have the feeling that most people who smoked as much as they did and as they do today, I don't know what is the effect on the brain in the long run because they smoke, I don't think there was oil. And I, you know, I never tried it in my life. I was high just by people smoking around me, never even tried it ever. And I really probably out of ignorance, afraid that 
it, it may affect the brain in the wrong way because it's not like you say it's targeting something specific, but most okay. people just smoke it. So first of all, it's, it's still a very strong compound, but its side effects are relatively mild. And if you consume it correctly, if you don't smoke a lot, if you do it medically with the guidance of a doctor, especially a doctor that uses our software, it helps you get to the right uh, titration, to the right dosage that is perfect for you. And let me give you an example. My mother, my mother uh, started suffering from dementia and she's now 93 years old. She's been six Nine years on, on oil, on cannabis oil. She had very, very bad nights of sleep. She we used to wake up about six or seven times a night. She was very aggressive because of the Alzheimer. She became very aggressive. And she, she was a very sweet person before that. And, and it was just incomprehensible how a person can turn. And we tried all sorts of different medications and, 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 and all sorts of SSRIs, which are like Cipralex and all those kinds. And the effects were not good. And then I met this doctor who's one of our partners. He said, let's try it, but let's try it very, very slow. Let's try it with one drop and then two drops and see until you get it. And, and it really helped. First of all, it helped her sleep very well. When she took the cannabis, she slept six, seven hours in a straight and she woke up. She was energized. She was not you know, annoyed. She was not aggressive no pains she had a lot of pains that she was complaining about no pains and basically it shows you that it can be done and in most cases it is done correctly it's just that if you want to perfect it if you want to make it very personal you have to start very low very slow and slowly gradually go into it now the story i told you at the beginning of this session is to take the fear out because a lot of it is prejudice a lot of it is just people you know what happens with people who have tendency for addiction if they start uh, on whatever you subscribe and and what happens if they addicted get addicted and well, they want more there's no indication that uh, cannabis is addictive uh, um, physiologically mm -hmm. it could be addictive because people feel very well and get the high and they want to keep feeling high, so psychologically they can become addictive. But mostly, and this is what I'm trying to preach for, for the elder people. Are you talking not, to me? Oh, I'm including yeah. myself. That's everybody good. over 50, everybody over 50. And I think in Canada, they have a very good example how they now have insurance coverage for people, uh, um, what they call elder people coverage that it covers also cannabis because it really that those uh, compounds in the body are not existing anymore. You need to get help from the outside and cannabis can provide you a lot of that help. And if you do it right with the right dosage, uh, you do not develop addiction. Plus something very, very interesting that we found in Israel, uh, we have about 8,000 patients already in our system. So we're starting to see very interesting statistics. Most of the patients are uh, pain patients. And doctors all over the world are still prescribing opiates, opiates to pain patients because it's very, very effective. 
but it's a horrible drug because you become addicted and it deteriorates everything else in the body. What we see happens with our doctors is the more they can prescribe cannabis, they can start reduce the opiates until totally zero when they get steady on the, on the cannabis, which is not as harmful as opiates and still effective in treating pain. So we see all those things coming up from our uh, research in the platform that we're yeah, showing. Yeah, but tell me, can it, can it affect any chronic disease like, uh, I don't know, high blood pressure, diabetics? Uh... And again, it needs a lot of data. We need a lot of data to show that. But already all over the world, we can see the health ministries, not only uh, uh, in the state of New York, in the state of Florida, in Canada, in the UK, in Germany, in Israel, in Australia, they have indications where they have decided based on the uh, existing data already there, what indications are uh, cannabis is good for. So uh, insomnia, yes, pain, yes, but also uh, IBD, which is uh, um, uh, inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn and colitis. We see it very working amazing on autism we see it working on Parkinson's, we're seeing working on dementia and Alzheimer's. All these are already indications approved by those ministries, meaning they believe they have the good effect. They just can pinpoint exactly which type of cannabis can work on who. So, and this is what, where we come in. We can match them together to make sure which kind of cannabis work on which person. And high so, blood pressure and, and diabetics, no? I don't think uh, those, Two indications I've been asked a lot about those. Uh, I've seen improvement in some of our patients with high blood pressure because simply they are more relaxed. They calm down, okay. yeah. They calm down, and then the overall effect. I mean, the overall well-being of the person becomes better, and it affects the blood pressure. Uh, diabetes. We are engaged in a research right now to find out a specific uh, uh, part of the one of the compounds we found out, which is very interesting. Because as you know, from people who smoke, the after effect of smoke is munch. People want sugar, they want to consume, they want to eat sweets and so on and stuff, which is not good for people with diabetes, not, not uh, um, good for fatty liver, for obesity. So we're finding a compound that neutralizes this munch uh, mm. effect and actually uh, depresses the need for sugar. And this is very good for diabetes. So people with diabetes can take cannabis for all sorts of symptoms, not necessarily cure the diabetes, but will definitely treat the symptoms. So now how, how does anybody, let's say somebody is watching you now and they want to get to you, do they do it through their doctor or they come directly to you and you go to the doctor? Well, in Israel, they come to us and we take them to our doctors. We have partnering doctors that are well experienced and they're using the system. Uh, we're not yet launched in the US. We plan to do that next year and in states where uh, medical cannabis is legalized, not recreational. Because recreational, you just go to the dispensary, you buy this or that, and it's very difficult to follow. But for medical purposes, when the gatekeeper is a doctor, we are there to help the doctor, to help the patient. So what you need, the blood test? You, what you look, if I come to you, do you need my... In Israel, card? you need so there's a medical, a medical record, a recommendation from your uh, doctor saying there's no, he's not objecting for the use of cannabis. Oh, okay. And that's it. 
So basically, you don't need more than that, so how, do you, how do you adjust to me personally? We, what we do, we you fill in a questionnaire. We look at the medical record. Everything goes into the system. We make your profile. Based on the profile, we say which type of cannabis, and more importantly, is what is the treatment protocol. Let's say you're not going to smoke because you never smoked, so you know, you're going to get oil tincture, and you're going to go with one drop a day of a specific tincture, and then going after three what days. Is tincture? To what is this word? Tincture, tincture is, the, is the oil. Is the oil? Oh, okay, thank oil. you. And uh, after three days, you go up to two drops, and after four days, after six days, to three drops until you feel it has the effect on you, and then then you stop, and we keep escorting. We provide to our patient a, an app that goes in the phone where they can report. They can report how they feel. They can ask the nurse what's going on. Uh, today, for the first time after a month, I feel a little dizzy. What should I do? Is it normal? Isn't it normal? And we can track and all, and all these data comes back into the system and we always improve the algorithm to make it more and more precise. So basically, really the ideal way is that you'll be a headquarter that gives services to all health systems, wherever they are. So when I go to the doctor, he knows how to send you the information and you'll tell him what to give me. Exactly. Well, we don't exactly tell the doctor. We don't advice, want to advice. No, no, I mean, yeah. recommend something. No. The doctor can overrule that recommendation and say, no, no, in this case, I will give her something else. But yes, this is what happens in Israel. In Israel, it is going from the private sector to the public sector, to the HMOs, the Kupot Cholim in Israel, which we are working with, uh, are now slowly, slowly going into it. And they simply, they don't have a clue. So they come back to us, asking us to handle the patient. Please acknowledge they don't know. Listen, Silly and, and, and Yaron, I, I, if, with your permission, I would like just, if you, you're okay with, to a bit go to another uh, subject because I was intrigued that you are both um, deal with technology and art. And I would like to ask you, uh, yeah. you can talk a little bit about, because you know, it's really be, become, a, I at least try to deal with this in, in when I teach now. And I still making research the relationship between art and technology, and what the effect of technology on art. I don't know if you have uh, some kind of an insight. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was uh, a big part of uh, my time in New York was devoted to understanding, because it was we were amidst a technology revolution, and it started back then. And and art is. Um, you know, it's another form of creation, uh, any any kind of form of art. And technology is another tool that could be helpful, very helpful for artists. Um, I take it more to the well-being again. Oh. And for instance, uh, um, my students, their first project in school was to build a little piece of software that will signal the students sitting in front of a computer that every 20 minutes, they have to turn around, focus their look somewhere else, do some stretching. And every hour it rhymes again and tells them to stand up, do a couple of exercises and then go back to work because I believe technology has, takes its toll, especially in our well-being. And artists are more and more 
using this technology where they are getting detached. Sometimes it detaches the, the artist from the medium because the digital medium is very, very synthetic. You don't touch it. You don't feel it. And, and that's where uh, you become detached and your, your well-being is being affected. So that's part, part of the view I look at uh, the mixture of art and technology. And there's many different uh, ways to look at it. Uh, recently was involved in a group doing some research on NFTs, which is another phenomenon of art, I think. Uh, it was a big bubble. Can you tell people what it is? We know, but NFTs. Can you tell yeah. what it is? Well, uh, NFT is working, uh, is basically focusing on uh, allowing, basically, two main uh, attributes that are also part of the attributes of art. The authenticity, authenticity okay. of art, of, of the piece, and the fact that it's uh, a single, it's one piece, it's one of a kind. So the rarity of it. Right. Those two things are existing in art. So when Rembrandt did one of his etchings, he did one of them, or maybe many, but he marked them. And it was authentic because he signed them. Uh, NFTs allow that to be in the digital world, meaning that I'm creating a digital thing and digital makes, you know, Google and Facebook and everything makes it happen. So everything could be copied. Exactly the same piece could be copied a million times. Right. So there's no authenticity and there's no rarity. Uh, NFTs take digital and make it authentic and rare. Make it, you know, let's put a stamp on it and make it just only, this is, you can make copies of it, but this is the first one. Okay. That's basically- but You know, very, I, I, uh, I have a class today and uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the documentary film Pina that uh, Wim Wenders did. And he, for Pina years, Bauer. on Pina Bauer, Bauer, yeah. He for years tried to understand how should I shoot it, uh, and he couldn't find a solution. And by the time you know he got to the idea, actually she was dying. Oh, she yeah. So the only one he only was able to do one uh, interview with her. But the point is that what he realized that the only way he can really make a documentary film about Pina is using three D. Mm -hmm. yeah. No other way. So suddenly the technology, you know, actually dictated for him the style of uh, his creative work, which I think it's one of the few that, you know, and it was, I think there was only Avatar and then his documentary. There were, I think it was the first. There are quite a few of them now, but it's, yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so, it's a very strong medium, yeah. yeah so but the, the question is, you know, technology is, taking over so many fields. Right. The question is if this is the new way and we just have to follow and get used to it and it makes things a bit more popular or easy to, to have. Uh, and maybe this is the way that you we, our generation communicate with the next generation through fields that are we all share, but in a different language. Or it takes away from the art or from the level of the art or from the 
the way we used to uh, judge art or enjoy art right. or deliver art because you don't need I mean when you film a film today most of it can be done in a studio by computers you don't need uh human different human abilities like those that oh, the real big one. oh when you have an right. artist that is drawing in the studio and somebody is in a studio in a different studio just makes it you know where where does it hurt and where does it elevate and where does it help i, I think it usually I, what happened to the space yeah well i i am more of the optimistic I have the optimistic approach rather than the nostalgic or pessimistic approach that ah, it was beautiful back then and now everything is crap. No, 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 I'm not there. I'm not there. I, 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 think, understand what I think that uh, I'm not at all with those who think, oh, we had it better. Now everything is destroyed. No, I think it's just they defend on their, on their values, you know, because they don't understand. You come where the turn made, you know, you really went on the turn. And I do think that you cannot argue with the new technology. You cannot argue with new generation. And I think whatever they can get and it's good, it's positive. The question exactly. is what happens to the gap between all of it and uh, to us and to others younger? I think I think what we need to look for is the common threads that uh, intervene between the people. If it evokes emotions, yeah, right. and okay. it's emotion, it's art. Right. And if it expresses inner feelings, it expresses a personal view, it's art. It doesn't matter what kind of technology it uses. Having said that, we see that the um, we see a different attention span. I'm not saying it's a shorter one. It's a different attention span of the young generation today, where the attention span to look at art would be the flip of a finger, about five seconds, as opposed to when we went to see a Wim Wenders movie back in the 80s, it was two and a half hours of pure, right. pure fun of, of yeah. art. Yeah. So we see a difference, but still, if you're able to invoke those emotions, if you're able to transcend those inner feelings in, into the art that you gave me, you gave me the soul, this, 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 this soul of my lecture today. This is okay. what I'm going to teach today. This is really the, 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 the end. Please exactly. do invoke emotion. I think it's our responsibility as a generation that knew also the old days, but also is witnessing right. the, what is ever happening now, is to study to be inquisitive, to be curious of what's happening today, to know what's going on, to see how the young generation are perceiving art, and then to adopt and then to make those connections. I think this is our Do you still uh, do art? Here and there, I do pro bono uh, projects here like and what? there. Like what? Uh, I recently uh, helped uh, design a book um, of a... Uh, building in new york that was struck by the 9-11 it was close mm -hmm. to the uh and they rebuilt the building and we used a photographer a very skillful photographer to take photos and we edited the book out of it and mm -hmm. uh, that book is sort of commemorizing the building the beauty of the building made in the 1920s where it was still and what it suffered through and became something totally um renewed so this is one project that I did, and uh, I'm doing. I, I'm keeping my 
my heartbeat on, on art here and there, but not as I wish. I wish I could do more. Okay. Uh, so I, I I don't know if to say it or not because I don't want to commit. So my husband uh, keep telling me, uh, you know, take cannabis. Because I know I I wake up at the night, you know, and, you know, I go to, to powder my nose, as I say. Uh, you know, so we say just take cannabis and it takes the oil stuff. I don't know. The, right. the, the oil one. Maybe after you, I may consider it. You shouldn't be afraid of it, but you should use it cautiously. I recommend using it with a doctor, even though in some states in the US, you don't need a doctor to use that. Uh, I recommend if you do not smoke, not to smoke, not to start I, smoking because I of it. I used to smoke. I don't want to touch smoke. Exactly. And so the tincture is a pretty good. It's very effective. Uh, every time I get a new medicine, medicine for my mother, I try it on myself. Uh, it Does has it some... effect on your skin. <laughs> yeah, actually, oh, come on, why are you laughing? For your skin. Every time I say something brilliant, she's laughing. Oh, come <laughs> on, this is really, you know. So it yeah, it has anti-inflammatory and anti-aging uh, oh, uh, oh. and I think it's uh, it's very good. You it just won't make you high if you put it in your skin, but it uh, definitely could be uh, revitalizing for the skin. Okay. So there are many, the, in, in Europe, it's a very big industry now, the CBD. It's also as parts of the US. Ah, okay. So, Tilly, listen. It's very big everywhere. When it becomes very big all the time, I'm worried that somebody's going to screw it up in oh, order no. to make more money. Oh, many people have screwed it up already. People. already. Don't worry. Reliable, reliable people. Now we're in the after effect. After it's been screwed up, after, you know, very bad PR was made to it in this new age, uh, I think now people are starting to get to understand the re and realize the potential of this. And this is part of the lecture that I give here in Israel is mostly, you know, uh, cannabis pain and the, and the elder age, when you're over 50 and you're suffering for some, most yes, people suffer from something, uh, it might help you on the symptoms. It will not cure cancer. It will not cure diabetes, but on the symptoms and the well-being, it might very much help you. Listen, Tilly, you introduced me to this, um you know, amazing person. It was so nice to meet you. And for me, it was, here. I think I'm going to, to try it. That would be incredible because, you know, I'm- Let us know, let us know how it's going. And okay. uh, feel free for to me, only spread this in Gulf and Israel and the rest of the world is not, I don't want a doctor here, only there, you know, stuff like this and like this. But in this case, I'm, I'm going to open myself and grab it. As long as you, uh, open yourself to something. It's a good beginning. Right. Thank exactly. You. It's a good beginning. Don't you come from. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. It was yeah. a pleasure.